Hello and welcome to The Fandamentalist, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of geeky media. Sorry, did I hit my head and wake up in patriarchal bullshit land? Don't put me in charge! It certainly worries me to make self-defeating mistakes out of fear of appearing weak. You were right. We are from different worlds. That is a failing indeed, but I cannot laugh at it. Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. That theme song you just heard is Good Riddance by R. Sonar, available on the Free Music Archive. My name is Kylie, and here with me today are Julia. Hey. And Gretchen. Hey, everybody. Did I get the order of your name wrong? I not yeah, wrong, just thing. opposite to what you usually do. It's not okay, wrong. we'll reverse alphabetical order today, guys, okay. as is my want. <laughs> the three of us write for thefandamentals.com for fundamentally sound fandom analysis and arbitrary rules, I guess. <laughs> If, we're going to have a hard time not bringing that up, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> we really are. We're going to be super passive aggressive for an hour and a half. No, somebody, no, we'll give you guys, you, you guys are our listeners. You're our jam buds. We'll give you a little context. Um, our site, we were like looking into some different like ad options and apparently our site got flagged as porn because of how much we quote Game of Thrones. <laughs> it's mostly just, it's, it's mostly just because the word fuck is is uh in common parlance yeah but like in the same kind of article that's also talking about cocks and pussy a lot yeah because again we're quoting the show because yeah yeah so bad pussy <laughs> got that was some news we got we could drop today however if you like our cock-filled pussy s- content <laughs> you should consider supporting us for a mere three dollars a month less than a medium latte at pete's coffee you could uh su- subscribe to us it really goes a long way in terms of keeping our site sustainable with our operating fees and whatnot and for it you get exclusive fundamentals plus content do you want a live hangout with us where you can ask us questions or watch one of us twitch stream games we'll probably do that eventually uh we also will give you some editor only analysis pieces as well as exclusive podcasts Mm. and the reason i'm so obsessed with latte prices is because i've gotten into a very bad coffee habit at work yay hooray (laughs) but seriously consider subscribing we greatly appreciate all of it uh and yeah i think i think it's a good value i think so we we, we, we get i think so you could have a shout out on our show you could have your name read by one of our voices don't you want to hear that Recently, somebody specifically requested to be shadowed on Unvashed Book Snobbery, which really made us happy. Yeah. <laughs> Granted, uh, we don't know when we're recording the next episode, but... Oh, my God. No, we scheduled Dragonstoned. We put we it did. on a schedule, so it's going to be soon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, crap. We have to write the rest <laughs> We have to write, like, a quarter of it. Anyway, we've done. got a very good, very planned out episode for you guys today, where uh, basically... Red Letter Media, famous for the Plinket reviews, uh, just released their The Last Jedi review, which is like, it's it's self-parody <laughs> Oh my god, it's just self-parody. They've like mm-hmm. come full circle uh, and become just like these screaming, non-discriminating fanboys, basically. Uh, and it kind of bothered us so much that we were like, well, what are they even upset about? Because their arguments were weird. It was like... They're chasing an old lady. 
<laughs> like, why are they chasing this old lady? Who well, happens maybe to be the leader the old- of this rebellious right? organization? Maybe, maybe the First Order knows that, like, Leo Organa is the head of the Resistance, and maybe that's why they're chasing Why is her? Ryan Johnson using a legal pad? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> he moved. He moved so he could live near the Lucasfilm storyboard group. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? But, yeah, anyway, we were kind of just thinking more about The Last Jedi, um... And how it subverted expectations. And we really want to talk into about, like, what does that actually mean? And why do certain fans seem to hate it so much? Right. Because that seems to be one of the big criticisms, at least one of the ones that I've seen. That feels like it has more uh, substance to it than just, I'm mad because there are ladies and... I mean, it's it's more like it's, like, a more reasonable explanation for people's feeling of dissatisfaction with the movie. Right. So, like, what does it mean to subvert expectations? Are there good and bad ways to do it? Right. And then the other part of that, too, is just our favorite examples of subversions, our least favorite examples of subversions, especially ones that are, like, less successful, and then just any that we'd like to see. Mm Mm-hmm. And right in the middle of that, we're going to uh, have a fun segment where we talk about media that we would like to to analyze but no one would care about so basically if we were going to do our own plinket masterpieces not necessarily critical um but just if we were to do such a thorough teardown of something again not necessarily critical like deep dive uh but no one would give a shit about it what are those fandom things that just make us tick that there really isn't a fandom for so there's right. that but first we have fandom news news so a quiet place which is the horror film horror suspense written written by john krasinski or directed by john krasinski i don't know idea he was involved (laughs) i know it was starring but i said i thought he also directed either way it's getting a sequel for may 2020 emily blunt in it yes yeah his wife yeah Uh, yeah are they married yep yeah, and speaking of sequels, Crazy Rich Asians is going to get a sequel, which I'm pretty seen excited it. about. I'm I saw it tomorrow. It's a really good movie. Yeah, we're having a date night. <laughs> there were nice. colors. There were full colors. It didn't end up being the intense chess match that I wanted it to be, but then I remember that I was watching a rom-com. No, it definitely didn't subvert my expectations. It's just I wanted a different genre film than it was. That's all. Oh, but right. as far as the rom com goes, it was like really enjoyable. Um, there was I know, enough read humor the, for I've everyone. Read a summary of the second novel, and it seems weird. It seems like it goes in a very strange direction. I'm okay with strange. These are good. I think this is. You know what? I want a crazy rich Asians franchise out of this. Well, there's three yeah. novels so far. The cinematic universe. Yes, going back. Have, like, way to title back. Indians next. <laughs> we think they can talk about that family that like rented out the Versailles for their daughter's wedding. Yeah. Oh my god. It is really funny though because um, Griffin and I were talking about how much we liked it, and we asked his parents if they had seen it. They're like, "Oh no, the title put us off it." Because I think they thought it was like insulting. It's like, no, no. Oh. No, this was actually like made. Like Hollywood tried to whitewash this. This is the film they fought to have made. Yeah. So apparently, yeah. the author of the novels is like in trouble because he dodged the draft in Singapore. Oh, for God's sake! Oh my gosh! <laughs> well, that's great. Um, in other news, and this is kind of interesting, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy three production is just officially on hold, uh, mm-hmm. yep. likely because they haven't secured a director. Likely because yeah. the cast is kind of revolting. 
There's that. Yeah. Yeah. So the, yeah. The, the cast wrote a strongly worded letter saying that they wanted um, James Gunn reinstated. And then who plays the unemotional guy? The guy oh. who doesn't understand metaphor? Yeah. The literal guy. Yeah. Jax. So Dave Batista, who plays Drax, uh, <laughs> basically said that he would not be in this movie unless they used James Gunn's script, which oh. is the weirdest character of the Guardians to make that stand because he's probably the most easily replaced. But that's the stand he's making. Yeah, well, it's a stand. <laughs> it's interesting. Sure, mm. something. Um, so, Speaking like, of people who stand their ground. <laughs> That's a good transition. Uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, what shakes out of that. But yeah, stand your ground. Avatar Kiyoshi. Yeah. I'm sorry. Actually, idiots from Florida have ruined that phrase for me. Stand your ground because of the gun laws down there? Yeah. the Or it apparently means you can just shoot people. Yeah, yeah it's dumb. Um, but no, but, Avatar Kiyoshi stood up to like awful Yeah, Chin the Conqueror. Although... Uh, it wasn't so much standing her ground as it was opening the ground up and moving it. She was standing <laughs> on the ground. Take Bikini Bottom and push it somewhere else. <laughs> anyway, YA novels. I'm, how, like, how much of a lesbian separatist will she be? Well, She's bisexual. she was confirmed as bisexual in Turf Wars okay. Part 1. Uh, much to my chagrin, actually. As a bisexual, I really want her to be a lesbian. But that's a fine. lesbian separatist, no less. <laughs> yeah, I mean the, the coding was there, but okay, you know she's she's still you know a, a queer woman. I'm I can live with it, uh, mm-hmm. and it's going to be written by F. C. Yi, who I don't know much about, but with vague consultation from Mike DiMartino. Um, I was more worried about this when I was first thinking about it because Mike is you know the half of Bryke that wrote Turf Wars and kind of introduced homophobia into the segment. Yeah, and like you know I. I wasn't happy with that direction. I think we had a whole podcast on like why homophobia shouldn't be a default, all that stuff. But mm-hmm. he kind of seems to have forgotten about the homophobia. Oh. Right? <laughs> like it was in the first Turf Wars book and then just kind of disappeared. Yeah. So I'll link um, Griffin's write up on this. It was just the, the fast entertainment news uh, on it. But he basically says the same thing. Like maybe this will be good. Yeah. I'm hoping. I'm hopeful. Not- if not, maybe we just get like a little more insight into the founding of the Dai Li, which is pretty badass. And right? hopefully we get less of the militaristically repressed Earth Kingdom that is the slowest to reform. Because <laughs> that's Mike's world building. <laughs> because hashtag it's China, so why not? Yeah. Oh, yeah. also Turf Wars Part 3 um, is out now. So the digital was released last Wednesday, and I think the hard copy was released two weeks before that. So that trilogy has finished up. There is going to be another trilogy in the future. I think still written by Mike, but with a different artist. So we'll see. Yep. We'll we'll see what happens. That's that's as much as I want to say on that right now. Yeah. Um, wait, in, what the f- in totally weird news that I never thought I would ever see, ever. Uh, a Wiley Coyote movie? A live action works? movie? I don't think it's live action, but the people writing it <laughs> is the team behind It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So I I'm mean, just I like could, trying to wrap my brain taking, up. Like, a very kind With of three like. Of them? At least two of them. You know, like an abs- like a more abstract kind of approach to Wiley Coyote. Like it's not an actual coyote and an actual roadrunner. 
but like it's the same story. I kind of only want live action coyote now. No, but like like the coyote is like a human and the roadrunner is also human, but they have that kind of relationship. Right? Maybe. Uh. Like I feel like this could work. I feel like I've stumbled onto something brilliant. Well, okay. <laughs> we will get you in contact with Charlie Day and okay. you can pitch that. Or uh, Rob McGillany probably yeah. is more accessible. <laughs> And yep, you just run with that. Uh, also, the well. Veronica Mars revival is coming to Netflix. No transition, just there's some information for you. So Veronica Mars just made a Netflix movie with Kelsey Grammer. Not Veronica Mars, Kristen Bell, obviously. <laughs> just made a Netflix yeah. movie with Kelsey Grammer where like he's her estranged father and they go on a cruise together after she's left what? at the altar. It's the like, biggest ball of nothing ever, but it's it's so like Kristen Bell. I just love her. <laughs> That's so yeah. weird. Is, is this a new revival or is this the revival movie will be on, on Netflix? Netflix now for Veronica Mars? I think it's a new series. Oh, who is asking for this? Yeah, I'm sorry. The series is so like I don't high know. school. Like when she went to college, it kind of went downhill, you know, like she needed to investigate Amanda Seyfried's death. That's the move. That's the that's the entire show. <laughs> yeah. Once that was solved, like it was some wheel spinning and I was never Team Logan anyway. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's like reboot fever. I just kind of get upset when a show about like a like a girl's development into adulthood and independence and like self esteem is a, turned into shipping. That's where I get upset. Yeah, but that's what. Yeah. Did you see the movie? Because that's exactly what it was. <gasps> I that's know. what I'm saying. That's why. That's what I get upset about. Right, and like it, they turned a, a noir teen drama into like, look at this guy's abs. And, I, I like looking at guys' apps. And to be honest, it, that's probably what it would be if they actually reboot like a series. Yeah. It would be a, a shipping. Like, it would be a show. Are you Team show. Logan? Like, who the fuck Get cares? Get ready, Marshmallows. Ryan Hansen is shirtless in this episode. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, Ben, we could get good Blaze gifts out of this, though, Julia. That's true, we could. Blaze being Blaze. Yep. I mean, and that might be worth it. <laughs> Just for the gift caps for letting it sunspeak. So in other reboot news, the blackish creator, Kenya Barris, is mm-hmm. to helm a bewitched reboot with an interracial blended family for ABC. Okay. Hmm. Now, I was super skeptical when I first heard it. I was like, why would anyone want to reboot Bewitched? That's weird. But then I read the summary and it actually sounds kind of great. Go, well, go ahead and read it. Samantha, a hardworking black single mom who happens to be a witch, marries Darren, a white mortal who happens to be a bit of a slacker. They struggle to navigate their differences as she discovers that even when a black girl is literally magic, she's still not as powerful as a decently tall white man with a full head of hair in America. I was like, that's awesome. That sounds cool. Also, the whole like who happens to be a witch. Why can't (laughs) sexuality be written like this? Seriously, I agree. But this, uh, that sounds really cool. Right? I was like, ooh, what a great way to tackle, like, racism and sexism and especially, mm-hmm. like, misogynoir. Like, and like, like oh my God, really the, cool the actual, did you just like, say misogynoir? Yeah, yes. it's an actual word. That yes. is the best portmanteau I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's, okay. it's used in a lot of dialogue. I think it's fantastic. Mm. Yeah. But what, what I love about this, too, and this is, I, I, this is such a weird tangent for me, but, like, Willow and Buffy, like, discovering her abilities, never interacted with the fact that she was Jewish. It was like, <laughs> oh, and she can't listen to Christmas music. And she that wasn't was- allowed to watch Soupy's Christmas. 
right yeah and that was like as far as that exploration went so the fact that they're like explicitly linking witchcraft to like identity mm-hmm. and marginalized marginalized identities it's like this is so good yep yeah i mean i've actually like it was one of those where i did like a complete 180 when i actually like read the news write-up because i just saw the title and was like oh god uh, reboot. Okay. another reboot of bewitched come on why would you do that and then i read it was like no no we oh. should do that definitely this, do this <laughs> see this is a clever idea for a reboot and this is a recontextualization like yep. we'll likely talk about in our subversion section but first we have to talk about matt smith you know the 11th doctor the guy whose face kind of looks like a foot that matt smith <laughs> but like there's, there's in, no way uh, the crown that. most recently he's probably what people know him for yeah and he's a good actor um oh, he was excellent cast, in the crown yeah he was cast for episode nine of star wars uh, mm-hmm. along with um dominic monahat Monaghan, Monaghan, played Mary yeah. in Lord, Lord of the, the Rings, Rings, and but he also played uh, Charlie in Lost, yeah. Yep, <laughs> yep. And they also sent out a casting call for, quote, a younger Charlize Theron with street smarts and sharp wits. Oh, no, not another fucking street criminal with a heart of gold. Fucking sh- sh- Charlize Theron is so, like, over the uh, hill there. Yeah. Right. Can't cast her. So, like... But we don't know who any of these people are playing. They're just like right well, now. The I'm just kind of thrown is totally just going to be like uh, Kira from Solo. <laughs> I can't wait to have another white woman in Star Wars with oh my smarts and sharp wits. No, they are open to they are open to ethnic. It's open ethnicity casting. I wonder if she'll be a white brunette though. <laughs> hey, speaking of oh my god, I almost said speaking of white show. Well, like, speaking of white brunettes is not a bad transition, actually. Supergirl uh, is casting Lois Lane, not to be confused with Lucy Lane, who had been in the show already, uh, for a crossover. Uh, and they're looking for a young 30s Caucasian woman. Like so, the- like an Armenian chick? Wait, 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 no, no, no. Lucy is biracial, though. Yep. Yeah, she is. Yep. Jenna, Jenna what? Dewan, who played Lucy, is biracial, <laughs> and they're casting for a white lady. Of course. Um, and also, Lucy is supposed to be younger than Lois. And Lois is also supposed to be, like, an, a professional rival to Cat Grant. So, like, why the fuck are they looking for a young 30s actor? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's like... Also, um, well, Tyler... Hoechlin. Hoechlin is reprising Superman. So I guess maybe they just wanted her the same age as him. Yeah, so but he's, like, thir- he doesn't age, right? That's his right. whole thing. Right, but, like... Of course they can't have, like, a woman who's, like, late 30s, early 40s with Tyler Hoechlin. I really hope that Just Erica Durance, who is playing the recast, um, who's playing the, the recast, Kara's mom, yeah, I hope that she just interacts with Lois Lane because she had played Lois Lane. That would be funny. In Smallville, and I just think it's funny. And it's, like, the kind of camp that CW would do. Yep. So, I look forward to that. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> very eye-rolly about most of Supergirl's casting this year. Sorry. I'm just salty. Uh, I think you're kind of over that show, Gretchen. I hate to tell you this. I'm kind of over the Arrowverse, but dang it if I'm not going to watch Batwoman. Yep. Wow. Yay. (laughs) All right. Maybe maybe it will subvert our expectations. Uh, That's a transition. Only justice will bring peace. What does it mean to subvert expectations? Well, 
<laughs> the dictionary doesn't really quote that phrase. But no, no, just in general, you know, whenever you talk about The Last Jedi and whenever Plinkett <laughs> fucking video came, it's like, oh, it it subverted nerd expectations or it subverted expectations, you know, surrounding men in media and all this stuff. And that's usually what's cited as why fans didn't like The Last Jedi. Which is a far more coherent way of putting it than the Plinket review, which basically just took aim at everything and said nothing. Mm, yep. But really, like, let's talk about, we talk about expectation subversion. You know, what does it mean? Is it inherently a good thing? Because, mm-hmm. like, my expectations were subverted in Game of Thrones yeah. many times because I was gonna you literally say that. can't <laughs> expect some of the things to have happened. Like, is that good? Well, I think that the difference between doing it well and doing it badly is the difference between A Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones. Because the entire, like, shtick of A Song of Ice and Fire is subverting genre expectations. Right, right. It's kind of, it's like trying to, like, you know, take the fantasy genre and kind of, like, drive it into the wall of, like, realism. Right. That's why, you know, you don't have a battle without, like major consequences for major characters like mm-hmm. you you have like romances that go badly and leave people miserable you have like the kind of like a very cynical kind of view of like you know the honor-based political system and the, you know things that tend to be romanticized when you read like fantasy that's based on some kind of model of medieval europe mm, right but like game of thrones has kind of taken that same concept where you're like oh it's realistic and gone in a direction of like everything sucks and you should feel bad like my expectations were subverted on game of thrones also when things like danny's missing dragon would be right around the corner (laughs) like that's sure subversion of expectations but it's it's because it was in like a Sometimes in a plot contrivance way, sometimes in a literal rule-breaking way, like, expectations were subverted when, you know, Cheryl, or I'm sorry, Cersei ascended the throne for blowing people up, right? Mm -hmm. But that's because it was in a rule violation of the established universe way. It's not quite the same, I think, as, you know, Ned Stark losing his head. Right, because there's a difference between shock and awe and subverting expectations in the way, or at least in the way that Martin does subverting expectations. Because I think what Martin does is, I think he is aware of people's expectations and he lays the groundwork for mm-hmm. doing not what they expect, but also in some sense relies on people yeah, exactly. following their expectations up until that point where he reveals it and then they have to go, oh, like, I to the see. Point where you, you're rereading the thing for the fifth time, and you right. still kind of hope somehow it works out. Right, know? right. Yeah. Where like you realize that like the only reason that you expected Ned to survive was literally because genre expectations, not because yeah. you were actually paying attention to the story that you were reading, but like just because you're so used to like we as readers are so used to the mm-hmm. idea that like a perspective character does not die. But like if you read the story that he's writing, you should expect Ned to die. Yeah. Whereas like it's not it's not unearned in that way. Right. And I think that's different than just setting something up and then doing the opposite. Like that's not subvert like, <laughs> like that is yeah. I mean you could say that's subverting expectations, but it's really lazy. Like <laughs> And I also wanna say too, like Martin 
you know, subverted genre expectations. That's what a lot of the interest of the books was based on in the first three books. Mm -hmm. But Julia had a really good piece on this too. Martin then also did a little bit of a genre genre switch Mm -hmm. with A Feast for Crows. And that subverted fan expectations. Not necessarily just genre, but also genre to a small degree. Um, So suddenly the action that everyone had come to expect from A Song of Ice and Fire novels was absent. Mm -hmm. You know, it was dominated by these different POVs that people hadn't come to expect. And it's not to say that Martin was writing this totally different narrative. No. Mm -hmm. It flows very nicely out of A Storm of Swords. But it was kind of this idea of like, are we really going to be digging deep into what happened or just keep moving on with it? And there is a subversion of expectations there. And I think the latter of not necessarily switching genre, but really like subverting what had been thought of as being the core of the franchise. Yeah. That reminds me of The Last Jedi Mm. more than like, oh, you know, something unexpected happened. Like we thought Snoke was going to be something and he's not. Well, like, did we? Did we actually think that? Or is it just that we kind of expected one thing out of Star Wars, given that it's like a family-centric drama, and we expected, you know, Luke to be this great hero, because that's how he had been built up in the fandom's mind. Right. And The Last Jedi delivered something else in that it kind of, like, deconstructed Star Wars. Yep. I'm thinking of the oddest thing. Wow. Um, <laughs> I'm finally, like, five years too late reading Zealot by Reza Aslan. Hmm. Okay. And that's kind of the point he's making about, like, Second Temple Judaism and Messianic myths, where, like, everyone had these expectations for this for these messiahs, and when it didn't work out, where, like, you know, their expectations were subverted because they were just, like, executed <laughs> by the Romans, they had to change the entire narrative about the messiah rather than, like, admit that their expectations were subverted. Mm-hmm. But, like, most people weren't willing to do that, and that's just, like, that's why, like, you know, only one out of, like, a thousand of these guys is even remembered. <laughs> right. Well, I think a huge – as I'm as I'm noodling <laughs> over what you're saying – yeah. it's my new favorite way, as I'm, like, pondering, I guess – over what you're saying, like, a big part of it, I feel like, is desire – like, mm-hmm. like desire on the part, not just like audience expectation, but desire and then how much they value what they want over what they're given. Because with, you know, like Martin killing off Ned, mm-hmm. like, I don't think that there were a lot of like subverted desires well, in Ned dying. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. Um, but and it was e- so long ago too. Like, but even so, like, I don't think that there was a lot of like, oh man, I really, really, really want him to live, and I this is the story I want out of him. Um, but like, I mean, the equivalent now would be, you know, a character that people don't expect to die. You know, it would be like John doesn't resurrect. I think. Yeah. Like, I, like, I'm convinced it's gonna happen, but like, I think that would be the kind of thing that one could say. Like, so much of when I, when I see certain fans, when they talk about subverted expectations, like, it's not just that they expected something to happen, it's that they really, really wanted it to, and put a lot of, like, mm. stock 
in what they wanted to happen so that when it wasn't where the story went, like, they feel betrayed even though the story, like, going into The Last Jedi, nothing about The Force Awakened promised that Luke would survive. Like, that's not actually, like, to my mind, that's not, like, like, right, I'm sad he died, but, like, that, in a sense, isn't, it's not as if the film set them up to expect him to survive. Like, it didn't set up that desire. That was just something people really, really wanted. So that when it didn't happen, like, so that when he did die, it's like, well, they feel betrayed. I'm like, but, but did the first film even promise that? No. So it's not even really subverted expectations so much as it is just like subverted desire. Yeah. Because this is the thing. If you are watching or reading media and you can literally expect everything that happens, like, you're never going to enjoy a single narrative. I'm all about reread. Like, I maintain that. I think you can dig deep in it. But there is no way, unless you are inside the author's head, that you will come to expect everything that will come mm-hmm. to pass in literature or a movie or whatever it is that you're consuming. Like, th- that's just not the case. What I think people mean to say when it's like, my expectations were subverted was just like, I was challenged in some way. Mm. Like this Assuming made me uncomfortable, <laughs> or I don't like it. Yeah, sometimes it is just a matter of like I didn't want this. Yeah, and I think like, that, I don't want these. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's, it's the rest of development. Yeah, you could just do the like I don't want these, and that's a yeah. fair reaction. I'm yeah. just not sure that like I don't want it is the same as like subverted expectations. Right. Exactly. Like I, I feel like I have been challenged by things and then still come through being like no no like uh, like infinity war i would say (laughs) i was challenged by that to really think about why it was that i was so like upset by it i really was like like the matrix trilogy (laughs) you know like or inception (laughs) no just like you know like it does like a lot of things that you didn't expect it goes off into like directions where you're just like let's talk about gnosticism and like you can kind of see there's like some effort at meaning there, but you're just like, no, this is, this is not what I want out of this movie. No, like this, like it's not a very good direction to take this story that you told in. It's just not. Right. Yeah. And like regarding the aspect of like, why do fans hate this sometimes? Mm. Like, I'm sure I hate it sometimes. It's really yep. just if it was subverted in a way that the way you had engaged with it previously is no longer open to you, mm. is no longer accessible to you. So it, I'm taking Last Jedi, and I, I don't want to like pretend that all the critiques are the same because mm-hmm. they're not right. whatsoever. But general ruin Johnson, let's reshoot it with no women characters. Like that, there is like you know a hive mind. Mm-hmm. of reaction coming from it and that's usually the one that's like yeah subverted expectations i think in that case it's just they had gotten used to a star wars that they didn't have to really like f- think about too much to enjoy mm. like they could they could just identify with the male characters they had like their their tropes you know they had the good guy with the lightsaber or the mm-hmm. or the rogue guy and you know they they could pick and choose right right but this is this is a franchise where they actually have to like Oh man, the the white guy we thought might be the good guy with the family name is kind of still a schmuck. Right. <laughs> right, and what makes me feel like it's that it is more in that direction is because um The Force Awakens got the opposite criticism 
And even like the last Jedi, like even the last Jedi still gets that same criticism of like, there are still people who are like, well, it's too much. Like it's, it's, it fits our expectations too much. Yeah. This is just a new hope again. This is, you know, it's just a retread (laughs) of a new hope. Like it's, it's just, um, pandering. Like, like pandering is to my mind, like pandering is the opposite. Mm-hmm. In these... Pandering is the fucking solo movie. Like, I don't even. No, but like, what I what I'm going for is the idea that that pandering is like just doing what audiences expect and want. Mm-hmm. And pandering so, is like the twelve different Harlequin novels that they release every single fucking month. Right. Like, so I can tell you exactly what those books are without even like looking at them. Right. But that's like some people they just think they that's what they want. That's what they want. And if and if and there's nothing really wrong with that. If a single movie can get this, can get mm. the, both the criticism of this is too much like The Empire Strikes Back and it is not enough like it, like it's subverting our expectations. Review. Like if, if it, if the same review is giving both of those criticisms, my reaction is maybe it's not about expectations at all. Like maybe it has nothing to do with whether or not it's too similar or too different. And maybe it's just you don't like it. Like, and that's fair. Like we're allowed, you're allowed to no, just not like a thing. You don't like it for reasons that you're not quite willing to admit, <laughs> or even just like I don't know why I just don't like it. I don't want yeah, it. I, mean, I didn't want to... this story. I wanted mm-hmm. a different story, and I didn't get it. Like that's a fair, at least to me, I think that's a fair reaction. But I wouldn't say that that's subverting expectations to not no. get the story that you wanted. No, and I think I think it's okay that like this movie really isn't for me because of the story I wanted. Like, right. Turf Wars is a good example of this. I wouldn't say my expectations were subverted. I was actually worried about the comics being exactly this before. Mm. But this is something where I could say this isn't the story I wanted because I wanted a story. Uh, and, like, that's okay. That's I'm not going to be the person that enjoys this. But where this turns a corner is sometimes like the sur- expectations are subverted and therefore it's bad or I wanted something different and therefore it's bad. And that's how a feast for crows is talked about a lot. Yep. Right. That's how legend of Korra is talked about pretty often. Um, that's how some of the turns in Steven universe have been talked about, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Star yep. Trek discovery. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And- that's, that's a good, that's a good one, Julia. And like, I, I try to be so fucking careful cause I'm worried. Like what if I'm, this is how I sound about Game of Thrones, right? Yeah, like, I think about that all the time. It's not the story I want. <laughs> but then I think at the same time, like, all we do when Joy and I go back and look at it, it's really trying to engage with what is this saying? What are the arcs? And what's the meaning? Mm-hmm. And I think when you center yourself on that, that's how you're able to kind of weed out nitpicks. Like, like the Red Letter Media Last Shot I Review was full of nitpicks, basically. Yeah, I mean, like, that, they ha- they've had nitpicks before, but yeah. they were, like, 95%, like, for comic effect. Like, you exactly. could tell that they were nitpicks, and, and it was not still that like, important. It was still an engagement. Mm. I, yeah. I hate some of the older Plinkett stuff because of their, like, extended rape jokes. Mm. But, like, 
you know, at the end of the day, they were still saying, okay, Attack of the Clones was attempting to be a love story. Here's the way that it fell flat. Here's the technical aspects of this movie that didn't work. Here's the tonal clash in Phantom Menace and the behind the scenes of how this was produced. And for like, you know, even the full prequel trilogy, they're basically saying this was trying to be Citizen Kane. This was a character study about the devolution of Anakin Skywalker. Here's where it fell flat. So there was still an attempt to be like, this is what the story is saying. You get to their fucking Last Jedi criticism. They're like, well, it was structured like National Lampoon's Vacation. What? Right. What it, does that mean? I didn't see any actual attempt to engage with what The Last Jedi was trying to do in, in a genuine way. Right. Like, you cannot like what The Last Jedi is trying to do, but I think you have to start from a place of you need to figure out what it's trying to do. Like, and you yeah. have to actually engage with, like, yeah, it's try, like, it is kind of trying to not not destroy star wars but it is trying to strip away what you know what it perceives to be extraneous to telling a good star wars story and trying to really focus on what it believes is important and it's trying to be much more thematic and trying to have much more like depth and resonance rather than just being like a flashy space opera like that's what the last jedi is trying to do that's like what like things that you think aren't working or like you don't enjoy the first time like when you start thinking that way sometimes it can be very rewarding like that's what happened with us for feast dance like we were just like this is extremely thematically coherent Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden (laughs) we love it or like even like okay this is going to be an unpopular example these days but the fifth harry potter book it disappointed a lot of people especially like after that really long wait because it was basically like you know a thousand pages of this harry being really angsty Yep. Yeah, like I reread it, then I was just like, "Oh, this book is about like failure mm. and like learning to deal with your failure and like why it happens." Like just like you know, like you Fuck, know, also the seventh blood book disappointed a lot like too that. for that reason. Yeah, and right? then like then after that, I started liking that book even more and like appreciating it as like an mm. actual story that had a goal and like met that goal (laughs) and i think that's the key if your expectations are subverted or you realize you're in a position of you know what this isn't the story i wanted Mm -hmm. especially when it's something like star wars when it's something like the next it's something that you're you're emotionally invested in that yeah something that you can expect something of yeah and i expected nothing going into black panther because why would i this is a new franchise and it's an amazing movie but there were still no expectations for it to subvert if i had had my own ideas about who t'challa was going into this or was like a Mm. huge 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 comic book fan and maybe like wanted to see a certain thing portrayed maybe i wouldn't have felt as positively right like maybe maybe people have not engaged in star wars their whole life like i think like we were talking about this at the very beginning like the way that we've always engaged in Star Wars is, like, with the characters. Like, especially with, like, you know, Leia and dutiful princess kind of stuff. And and there's a large segment... Yeah, that was me uh, at age eight. Yeah. Like, the large a large segment of the fandom just do not engage with the movies that way. Right. Right. Which is fine. There's no wrong way to engage yeah. with anything. But unless I, you're, like, abusing actors in it. Yeah. And, like, but I think that, like, you know, the sequel trilogy has been engaging with the material the way that we have, not the way that, quote-unquote, the fanboys have. It feels like that. I right. mean, yeah. I don't, and so like, now that's not to like, gloss you know, over its flaws either, but yeah, yeah, I do think it's trying to say something too. Mm-hmm. Right. No, that's a really good, I think that's a really good point, Julia, that like a huge part of probably what to us may not even feel like 
subverted expectations because mm-hmm. those aren't may just be like we don't have those same expectations like i'm just glad that they finally like clarified what leia's job is you know like <laughs> that's why i'm <laughs> like, happy <laughs> i don't go into star wars expecting like to just watch a space opera movie you know which is what i mean which is what the original trilogy was was just like it's just like a space opera and they like yeah but then empire strikes back happened right but like even when i was younger i didn't engage with empire strikes back that way because it took me till i was older to like fully appreciate the depth of empire strikes back um i'll say a really really good example of subverted expectations and maybe this is one that we could talk about in fave least fave and subversions yeah you know what you know i'll save it well we're out of time anyway so yeah (laughs) yeah all right, we get we shockingly we subverted your expectations and we're going to cut it off on time for this segment. <laughs> we're actually going to try and stick to our time frames. And segue into the fun segment about media we would want to do a full plinket on. This is not going to go the way you think. A lot of what we do on the fundamentals is we typically like engage with really popular media. Or at least media with like geeky a geeky media, geeky media. Um, or at least media that we have like that has a big enough fan base for engagement with what we write about it. So Game of Thrones, Supergirl. Um, yeah, and sometimes we try to force engagement, like watch Crazy Ex Girlfriend or right. watch Block Sales. Right. Um, so, like, there are a lot of things that we probably don't talk about because it's like. I'm the only one who would care about doing a full-scale analysis of whatever this thing is. Um, for me, most of it is would be books. I keep trying. I keep trying. Like those of you who who follow me as an author, which I don't think that there there are many of you who specifically are just like I want to read what Gretchen writes. You know that like I I like to do book reviews and and I always write them because I really care about them, and then I'm like no one's gonna read it, but it's fine. Because I want, I like reading book reviews, um, and I like writing them, and I like reading books. Uh, but yeah, so that's a big thing for me is that I want no one really cares about the analysis that I do on books, and I'm like mm-hmm. curtailing myself. Like if I could do like a full in depth analysis of Leia, Princess of Alderaan, and how amazing <laughs> that book is, because it's so goddamn amazing. Like, but no one would care. No one would care. <laughs> I would care. I'd read that. Uh, I read, like, everything Gretchen writes, except for her, her, her my own art reviews, because I have no idea what the fuck she's talking about. That's fine. <laughs> I read them because I edit them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also just, like, curious to sideline that one. But, yeah, I mean, we I, we have to talk about media, right? Like, we can't talk about, say, policy. <laughs> no. Okay. Media. Media. Fine. Because, I mean, the thing I immediately jumped to, well, first of all, there's stuff that I know people would care about, but not people who read our site. Mm. So, like, I have held back so many topics on The Bachelor and Bachelorette. It's unbelievable (laughs) how much I could write about that. (laughs) I also have kind of tiptoed around my intense Stephen Sondheim you know, analysis, but at the end of the day, there's so many people who are so much more qualified to be like critiquing the music and, you know, talking about the form of everything and really digging into it that I just kind of feel like, oh, there's, there's no point. Um, however, if I had to fix something, <laughs> it would be like probably the video games I used to play as a kid 
specifically the King's Quest series, which I think were really popular, but no one analyzes them because no one plays them anymore. And I just don't think there's a market for it (laughs) at this point. But like, I could go on and on about the politics of Daventry and like what I really think of Rosella. And I wrote a very easy, like definitive ranking of King's Quest game piece for our site. And I didn't want to like go beyond that. But there's, I have so much to say about like, what a hot mess King's Quest V was alone. And every time I try to think about it, it's just like, no, no, I can't do this. <laughs> so I, I, I would probably pick that. Um, and I might also just throw in a bunch of completely unnecessary meta on Majara's Mask. <laughs> because, like, you'd think that there's not that much to say. I already wrote about the poli- politics and economics of Termina. But, like, no, I have a lot more to say. Like, I secretly believe Kremia has a crush on her friend Anju. Like, I've got so much to say. Mm. There's a lot of there's a lot of hinted lesbianism. Is there indeed? Yeah. Actually, that's another thing I could just take a deep dive. Just on. like put lesbians everywhere? No, like just media that I like struck me that no one's gonna remember. Like the Wild Thornberries episode with Debbie being turned into a dolphin. That was like super gay. It's like anyone remember this? People would care about it, but I'm just not sure I wanna like necessarily dig into that content alone. Yep. That's what I've got. That's what I've got. Julia, what would you analyze? Um, well, I have this thing for like historical murder mysteries. Mm. Like that, true crime or no, like, like fiction like, set in historical Yeah, fiction set in historical times, but like murder mysteries with like, you know, a lady sleuth. And <laughs> do you do you read the Jane Austen mysteries? I do not read the Jane Austen mysteries. That is too trashy even for me. Um <laughs> They're actually rather enjoyable. Yeah. It was only well, the last, thing, like, there was only one, like, by the time I got to, I think it was book four or five that I was like, ah, but the first three, at least, it's either the first three or the first four, I actually thought were really well done. It's the one where she meets Lord Byron that I was like, I don't know about this. The historical, like, women uh, targeted murder mystery market is so hit or miss in terms of like it can either be just like super trashy like there could be like a shirtless highlander on the cover or it can be like actually really good and there's really no way to tell like from like the blurb or the cover or anything like that and it's kind of scary like each time each time you pick a new one up you're like i don't know what i'm gonna get ah like there's there's like one series that i really enjoy it's like the lady emily mysteries which is like top shelf in terms of that genre she's like this like she's not like other girls a little bit but not in an annoying oh. way i mean like well basically like she gets married to this guy because she's sick of her mother magging her and then he gets murdered like a few months later and it's like a year after that where like his best friend kind of like pops in and she starts to think that maybe her husband was murdered and so like she solves his mis- the, the mystery of his death and while she's solving the mystery she's like falling in love with the best friend guy and the best friend guy is also like a secret agent so it's like during the course of the series she kind of gets pulled into that world as well uh, but like everywhere she goes like, like people, it's just one of those things like you know like amateur detectives everywhere they go people are dying and yep. you're like how does this happen <laughs> I like which it. is why like the, it, she turns the, basically like into a spy at some point because it gets a little ridiculous right i like but, I, this, I like mysteries that's the yeah, yeah you're right that's a really good like i watch a lot of mystery shows but like there's no See, way i, I hate procedurals that. just like in principle but i like Julia, I, have a, I have a weird question for you yeah 
Did you ever see, did you ever read any of the Clue book series? I did not ever read any of the Clue book series, Kylie. I didn't realize there was okay. one. There was, and there were like mini mysteries and you'd solve it at the end of each chapter. But it was like, <laughs> I don't know how to put this, because like you guys have seen Clue the movie, right. where they had like was different like personalities. Kind of, but they had like very exaggerated characteristics that were not necessarily present in the movies. So like Mrs. Peacock was very, very prim and proper. Uh, Mrs. White was like very sarcastic and she actually worked for Mr. Body. Um, and he was Reginald Body and he was just like a good old boy who like had these rich friends that all oh. had to kill him for money. Those are sounding then, familiar as you're saying. Right, it. I so may have actually read some of these. Professor, Professor Plum was like forgetful to the point of like, you yeah. think he might have like a disorder. Colonel Mustard would challenge everyone to a duel, like at the drop of a hat. Uh, Mr. Green was like really, really into like investing money and weird shit like that. But like they, they were, it was the kind of like wonderful thing that happens with really good comedies where they kind of fall into those roles more and more and almost to the point where they become like these car- caricatures of themselves. But it was like within the framework of these murder mysteries in the Clue Mansion. And it was just always really fucking funny. I think um the only issue was like Miss Scarlet was the slut. Ha <laughs> ha. Like that... <laughs> That was her thing. Yeah, no, I've just like I literally just looked these up, and they're kids' books. Yeah, they're they like are middle. Kids they're books. like middle grade readers, yes. and I'm like I look them up, and I'm like, no, I have read these books, but they were so funny, yeah. and the mysteries were actually not half bad. And like, don't read the Clue Junior; they're terrible. But like, yeah, they're, <laughs> which they're, I did also read. I may have tried to read one, but no, I definitely remember like the Clue books because I was just thinking like I could take a deep dive on these but like literally no one cares except maybe Gretchen who'd be like oh yeah you reminded but, me yeah, I read I them so I would care they're really fast fun mysteries you you just got me thinking about that because I was like wait a minute <laughs> my brother and I used to act these out <laughs> okay so other top shelf recommendations uh Diana Norman she wrote this one series about this like uh doctor from uh medieval Sicily who goes to England to solve murders um a woman doctor, which was actually, yes, a thing. And she wrote this, um, she wrote this other novel called City of Shadows, which is about, like, uh, Anastasia Romanova, that, like, that whole thing. And it's actually, like, one of the most interesting takes on that whole thing that I've ever read. Is it, like, vaguely historical, unlike the Anastasia movie, which is just this, like, harsh? Well, it's not like, I mean, like, at, at this point, like, we know that she didn't survive and anything and any kind of, like, Anastasia stuff is just fantasy, but like as a mystery novel, I actually really enjoyed it. I mean, I've read a bunch of reviews on it for it online where people were like, "Oh, the resolution was obvious," but not to me. Is, I guess is I'm really Rasputin dumb. just randomly an evil dude again? <laughs> you know, they never mentioned Rasputin. Um, you would like it because there's Jewish content. Um, <laughs> That's related to my interests and my culture. <laughs> Did you know that there are uh, there are Lizzie Borden mysteries? No. They're called Lizzie Borden Girl Detective. And it's literally oh about God. young Lizzie Borden solving like mysteries. I just I found out Borden. about these the other day. It's <laughs> pretty cool. Wait, did you just yeah. say who's Lizzie Borden? Who's Lizzie Borden? You you don't know who Lizzie Borden is? Like I just looked her up on Wikipedia. Like literally like this like a so- like alongside OJ Simpson, probably the most famous like criminal trial in like north america yeah but it was like in what 1890 1892 yes yeah, in falls river massachusetts murder. i just looked it up on wikipedia yeah i've never heard of it <laughs> yeah it was this big sensational trial um she snapped like the first like it was 
literally like the beginning of like sensationalized trials. Like it was crazy. Um, anyway, you should listen to, you should listen to, uh, Lee and I just did an episode of History is Gay. We just recorded it. We're going to be talking about Lizzie Borden. Is she gay? Gay women always eventually snap and hack their friends. Well, and she, uh, exes. had a, uh, a very, very glamorous, famous lesbian came and lived in her house for a while and is the reason why Lizzie and her older sister, like, fell out. Like, her okay. older sister, like, moved out of the house and they had a strained relationship until Lizzie died because... They seemed like good friends. Because she didn't like that, that Nance O'Neill was there, which seems sketchy. Or not sketchy, seems, uh, leading something. There's something there. Anyway! Yes. We are getting long on this segment, but hey, let us know in the comments below if you would be interested in deep dives of any of this so we know whether we can do this. Like, can I write about how problematic Edgar's courtship of Rosella is or not? Like, I I just need to know. Right. Did anyone want yep. to do a deep dive when I talk about, like, speculative fiction books that are not, <laughs> that are more mainstream? That's or my bachelorette takes. Or the, your, <laughs> or the fact that there's an entire, like, list of axe murderers on Wikipedia. <laughs> Who is in the axe murderer fandom? I could do a deep dive of <laughs> So I Married an Axe Murderer. Oh my god. There's, the there's your next podcast to spin off of History is Gay. He was a serial killer active in New Orleans. So you're married an axe murderer. <laughs> Leon right, Trotsky we... was assassinated with an ice axe. Let us know also what your favorite piece of media is that no one gives a shit about. And with that, we're going to finally transition into the last segment today, which is going to be our favorite, least favorite, and subversions we would like to see. So for our last segment, we're going to talk about, oh my gosh, guess what? Subversions and expectations. And so we're going to talk about our favorite, our least favorite, and ones that we've always dreamed of seeing. And we're not going to talk about lesbian Charlotte Lucas. Why not? Because we've already talked about it. I just mentioned it. I mean, like, if we're putting a moratorium on things that we always talk about on this show, we're just going to be sitting in silence. Because, like, immediately my brain is like, Legend of Korra. Game of Thrones. Okay, you go first, Gretchen. Uh, For which? All. Fave? Least fave? Like to see. Let's let's start with favorites. Let's Mm. be nice. Okay. Um, one of my favorites. Okay. I really like to have romantic tropes subverted. That is one of my favorite things to see subverted, especially things like uh, the first time that I read a book, because it was a book the first time I saw it, where the love triangle was subverted with polyamory. I was like, yes, please. This is what I've always wanted. <laughs> this is what I've always Sense8. wanted. It's what happened on what? Oh, on Sense8. Sense8, yeah. Right. I love it when those kinds of things get subverted. Those are some of my favorite subversions is when they, especially for romantic, partly just because I think uh, romantic tropes are very, 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 very cliche. That's, to me, some of the most cliche cliches that you can get are, like, romantic cliches. And so when someone, like, creates a piece of media that, like, totally subverts expectations for like romance tropes uh so that's a good example um another example is elementary for me again for romantic tropes because the expectation nowadays is when you have like a crime procedural that is headed by like a male and female protagonist that eventually it's going to become about them 
getting together. And the show has so far, and I don't think it ever has any plans to, like, get Sherlock and Joan together in a romantic or sexual sense. And that totally subverted my expectations because um, it it's an established trope now in crime procedurals with a male and female protagonist that at some point they're going to fuck and probably, like, get married. And so to have a show that was like, nope, they're just, like, platonic soulmates that live and work together forever. And I was like, ooh, ooh, I like that. That's great. Um, so yeah, those are my, definitely my, like, my favorite tropes to see subverted are, like, romantic, romantic ones. For sure. And I can um, piggyback off of that with my favorite subversions. And this is probably the easiest answer I'll ever have because just the answer is crazy ex-girlfriend. Oh, yes. It purposely subverts all romantic comedy tropes and tropes related to how women are portrayed in media. Mm. And sometimes it's like more successful than others, but it will at least be very aware of the trope. Like when, when you, I was first watching season one, I was like, uh, okay, they're subverting it by playing into it. Great. But like, no, that's not really what happens. Just keep watching. And then yeah. it like fully I mean, that's, gets I remember subverted. That's and- what you kept watching me because I like, I, once we were talking about how much I hate Valencia now she has no redeeming qualities. And you're just like, mm-hmm. keep watching. <laughs> You know, just keep watching. She's fantastic and you're yeah. gonna like go to war for her. Yeah. And 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 I love it too, because there's like songs about the tropes. Like the songs themselves are tropes, but it's like in a humorous way. So there's a song called, you know, The Math of Love Triangles, where she's singing about how great and sexy it is to be in a love triangle. And then the the song itself is like a bunch of guys trying to like actually teach her <laughs> teach her math. Like, trigonometry basically (laughs) um and then of course the love triangle blows up horribly and she like loses both guys and there's nothing sexy or nice about it and what's great too is that she even like interviews a poly couple to be like oh i want to get on that and they're like no no that's not what you want you just want both of these men and you're indecisive (laughs) and it's it's like fantastic um but they're they're very very self-conscious about it to the point where like it subverts, you know, the the title of the show is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend because it is that stereotype. Mm-hmm. And it really digs deep at what all of those words mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly crazy. Yeah. To the point where I think it is subverting a lot of expectations in terms of what it's doing with regards to mental health, with regards to Rebecca's arc. So even the ending of season three, like, she made this kind of, like, thematically important decision that didn't make any sense for her to actually do, though. And I was like, well, this is dumb. Yeah, I mean, but but I heard it's not interview. that wasn't seated through the course of the season, where her right. psychiatrist was like, you know, you don't have to always be in control and things like that. And just, yeah, Right, but then, mm. then I also heard it's this interview brilliant. with Aline Brosh and and uh, Rachel Bloom, and they were like, yeah, she didn't make a logical choice there, and she's gonna have to deal with it, and people are talking about it as if we don't know it wasn't logical. Yeah. I was like, oh, we're just used to bullshit writing. Okay. <laughs> right. Yep. In our defense, we just assumed that you were hacks. <laughs> yeah, but then, like, I don't know, some of the songs are just so fucking good, like mm-hmm. like the Dream Ghost song, where it's just talking about the trope of, like, the ghost that appears to you, and you don't really know if they're, Sung like, by, a like, spirit women or of color. Ghost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, the, and the ghosts are singing about, like, their healthcare plans that they get as Dream Ghosts. It's, it's just like, oh, it's so fucking good. They're paying out of pocket for dental cleanings. <laughs> Just watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, seriously. Watch it's, it's it. My, it's my favorite example of, like, deconstructing media and really subverting a lot of those very trite, like, Hollywood standards. Hmm. Julia? I'm going to take this really literally. Um, the favorite, my favorite subversion that I have ever been subjected to was in this Netflix documentary about doping in sports called Icarus, where it starts off um, the, like, filmmaker... 
Uh, he's like an amateur cyclist and he decides that he's going to try this whole doping thing out to see if it, it could actually improve his cycling performance. But like he makes this like contact during that whole process that takes the film. I don't want to spoil it because it's just so awesome. Takes this film, the film in this entirely different direction that you do not expect, but is so amazing. Like by the end of it, like you've completely forgotten that this was supposed to be a movie about one guy, like, actually trying doping and <laughs> if you haven't seen this movie yet go see it it's like crazy ex-girlfriend mm. is that a documentary a documentary just like and like the way that it was marketed like totally helped with this too it was just like you think it's about one thing but it's about something totally different and not something like unrelated but just like who would have thought this would end like where it ends <laughs> Like, nobody. That's so interesting. Yeah. I'm trying to think of examples where it's been like, it just goes in this different direction. You're like, whoa, where did this yeah, come from? Yeah, that escalated quickly. <laughs> That's really funny. All mm-hmm. right, so let's talk least favorite uh, examples of subversion. So this might be more tricky because oh, no, it's also it. recognizing what the subversion was trying to be rather mm-hmm. than just like, oh, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, Yeah. <laughs> Right. Um, I'll see your Game of Thrones and raise you a Lost in Austin. Mm. Oh God! <laughs> I mean, I wrote a, a trio, a, yeah, a couple of pieces about this. Two pieces, yes. Um, so this is supposed to be like you know that old fanfic trope of like the author gets like a Hogwarts letter and she goes off to Hogwarts or whatever. It's uh-huh. that, but it's got this whole like magical realism, time traveling thing. And the protagonist finds herself inside Pride and Prejudice. And, like, yeah, you can see how it's trying to be that whole, like, you know, these characters aren't what you expect they are. But, God, is it badly done. It's so bad. I could, it's like, just- I I could not even finish it. One of my best friends mm-hmm. and I sat down to watch it to laugh at it and mm-hmm. made it, like, 15 minutes. And we were both just, like, I think we, like, might go crazy if we were to actually finish this movie. I mean, like, the first or like, primary problem is it doesn't understand the text it's trying to subvert at all. Yep. <laughs> like, not even a little bit. And just, like, it goes, like, so, like, lowest common denominator, like, oh, Caroline Bigley's a lesbian! Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> and, like, yeah, like, that's the joke, that she's a lesbian. All the men in Regency England have never seen boobs, so the fact that she, like, doesn't wear a bra, like, freaks them out or whatever. (laughs) And, like, these people clearly, like, you clearly don't know that, like, it was in vogue to, like, wear white and be kind of see-through. Like, that was a part of, like, Regency fashion. Probably not in the countryside so much. No, Um, but, like, still, like, like, it's, they're not, like... Regency England was not like oh, boobs, Ooh. like which is the way it portrayed. Like it totally portrayed like th- them that way. Like all the male yeah. characters were like, "Ooh, she's got titties." Ooh, I'm so distracted <laughs> because her clothes are different. It was so. It was so bad. It was so dumb. That was the it's, part where we were like, "No, we're done. We're done with this." Yeah, and no, just like, like. It's. I think it's trying to go off this like whole thing where like people were more innocent back in the Regency, yep. you know. But like, no, they weren't. And also, like, nope. there were black people in Britain back then. Yeah, and people also have lesbians. This really, like, 
fucking weird idea that progress is super linear. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, no, like the early modern period had like more sexual liberation than like the 300 years that followed. Like it's progress is not a neat straight line and we're not always moving in the right direction with things like be a little critical. And if you're going to do, you know, a movie set in the Regency era, maybe do some homework. Yeah. Or, like, read the book that you're supposed to be based on. (laughs) You know, I'm trying to think of least favorite subverted expectations, because a lot of the stuff I find stupid, it's not necessarily like, I didn't see it coming, or that it broke anything in particular. But, like, it's that, like, oh, let's explore the secret dark side of XYZ. Mm -hmm. So, like, if I'm thinking about, like, Game of Thrones, for instance, my least favorite subversion of expectations there would be like, oh, Ned was secretly not honorable. (laughs) And, like, the way they chose to portray it, which was, like, the dumbest fucking thing, where it's like, he was in a fight to the death, and someone stabbed Arthur Dane through the back. And then he told all his kids. therefore it was dishonorable. Then he told all his kids about it and bragged and lied. Yeah. And it's like that, like, oh, the the secret underside, like the darkness of it. And that honestly is one of my biggest issues with Solo. Because like Rogue One, for all its flaws, I think it actually did hint at moral ambiguity in a way that like makes sense in the universe. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is actually a grittiness that maybe should be explored. Mm -hmm. But Solo did it in like this weird, like droids are secretly oppressed way. But then it was for a big joke. Right. It's like, uh, so you just, like, made all our heroes complicit in this, like, horrible exploitation of droids because you probably once watched the BuzzFeed video about that and or the Cracked video or whatever the fuck it was, right? So, like, that's where they're like, oh, yeah, we've got this droid that stands for droid rights. But then, like... I don't even know if that was necessarily trying to subvert expectations. It was just this dumb element. And it was then, comic relief. Like, and like, while we're focused on Solo, I think my favorite is like, Enfys Nest was just this person on a motorcycle with a scary helmet. And I guess that was kind of built up as an antagonist. And then expectations were subverted because it was a woman. Okay, yeah, you are, that is my least favorite subversion of expectation trope. Like, I would say it's a trope. I am no man. Yeah. It's like, the like, oh, you thought that she was this badass dude and really competent, but like, guess what? She's a woman. And I'm like, what? Okay, like, it's cool that ladies are badass and great. But like, the fact that you're treating this as if it is a subversion of expectations is really shitty. Right, because it shouldn't be a lady. It shouldn't be a subversion of expectations that like women are strong or powerful or badass or villains or it was a girl the whole time. Yeah, no, but like that's one hundred percent what it is. Yeah, yep, yep. But like they're treating it as if like, like yeah. So I would put it as like playing into um, it's when leaning into like racist, sexist, homophobic phobic type expectations to subvert them. Right. And I'm like, I don't know that you're actually doing anything empowering for those mm-hmm. marginalized communities by oh. acting as if 
you're surprised that this character is gay? You should take a look at yourself. And I'm like, well, but you set it up that way. Like, you're still <laughs> treating it as if it should be a surprise that this character yeah, is like, black oh, or a woman. Or, he right? likes to drink beer and he's gay. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, some gay men like to drink beer and watch sports. That's a normal thing. Why are you acting oh like God. I should be surprised by this? That's my least favorite. Yeah, that right there. I'm just thinking about Game of Thrones when Brienne is like charging in. Like she's a fucking blur because that's how fast she's moving. And all the men are like, oh my God, it's a woman. It's like, what? What? She has short hair and she's moving quickly. How are you spotting this? (laughs) Right. Like Seriously. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's. I don't like it when like. (laughs) I don't like it. Yeah, I don't. I don't like it. What is the subversion you'd like to see then, Gretchen? Oh, a subversion. You do it better. (laughs) Subversions I would like to see more of. Um, You know, I would like to see more. God, it just went out of my head. Does someone else have an answer? Well, I can try and regain yes, my I train of see thought. Yes, I want to see more genre fiction that happens to have individuals who happen to not be straight and there's no homophobia in the world. That's what I would like to see. Yes. Yeah, that's a good one. Please subvert. Yeah, subvert homophobia is the default. This is just bullshit. There's no reason for it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No. That- we can imagine better worlds, guys. It's great. Subvert like sexism as a default, racism as a default, any of those like subvert the uh, the expectation that like systems of oppression are like universal and like across yeah. history and into imaginative worlds. Like, right. yeah, because that is an yeah. expectation that people have. Yeah. Well, they they expect that just because something is the way it is, it ought to be the way it is. Right. That's like that is that phenomenon, but kind of like. Let's subvert expectations with a matriarchy instead. Okay, that is my new bugabear. I know, I know. Julia's just started realizing that people have been calling equality matriarchies. What? No, it's like it's like if there's a it's a fictional universe where it's like like Betazoid on in Star Trek is called a matriarchy because about half the time women are in charge, basically. (laughs) Oh, where like no a matriarchy would be like a patriarchy where women are oppressing men right like, if that's if this if it's the like mirror image of a patriarchy that that's what that would mean but that's not what it ever means because no. like <laughs> except for that one really bad star trek episode called angel one where like <laughs> women were basically men but like female shaped anyway uh, <laughs> like they were like the the taller more stronger gender um like there's really like there's no such thing as a matriarchy. Hardly ever even in fiction. So shut up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, you like, I can think of a handful of stories where you mm-hmm. have uh, political systems ruled by women, but they're not oppressive. They just exist. And they're still treated as this like, ooh, magical. Ooh, ladies are in charge. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, you know, last How year crazy. Death, they got 37 presents and this year only got 36. Oh, no. <laughs> I feel yeah. so impressed. Yeah. I also just would still like to see every love triangle get subverted with the Korosami solution. Mm-hmm. Like, that is yep. infinitely more entertaining. I mean, the poly and solution I never get tired of it. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Either, either polyamory oh, yeah. or oh, clear yeah. or both. You, you know what? Actually, 
we're pretty due for like mainstream poly representation. It's yeah. getting like it's getting into YA fit. Like it's it's actually like making its way into young adult fiction, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, on the typically the leading edge of progressive and inclusive, like especially for books mm-hmm. is going to be yeah. young adult fiction. Um, I'm seeing more and yeah, more of it. Yeah, because, like, most young people are just confused by the concept of homophobia at this point. Right. So. Right. <laughs> maybe right. not most, but, you know, <sighs> in our little bubble of the universe. Wouldn't that be nice? So, I, <sighs> so like, I do mm. think it's, and books tend to be more progressive than mm-hmm. visual media. And so I think that we are going to get that. Um, there have been creators that have come out and said, in hindsight, that that was how they imagined their ending but weren't able to do it mm-hmm. like uh leverage if either of you have ever watched leverage no um nope. there is but i'll take your word there are it. like three characters that like end up uh on the show it's like they they like form a new team together but like the creator has actually said like no that's meant to be like the three of them walk off into a sudden into the sunset as like hey like a poly guess what like guess what show had this no Black sales. Black sales. <laughs> Black sales. Black sales. Black sales. Black sales had so a canonical poly ending. Yeah, like, like they like decided to run the bar together. <laughs> which 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 makes me think of another subversion I would like to see. I would like to see more female characters in power that are um treated the same way male characters in power are. You have to be more specific. Yeah. That um are allowed to be really shitty and awful. I mean, that's what I liked so much people. about uh, what's her face, Carrie Ann Moss's uh, marriage in uh, Jessica Jones. Mm, How, like, I don't watch Jessica Jones. Hogarth, Hogarth. Yeah, Hogarth. Like she, she had this like really messy, nasty divorce, and it was like she a was gay a lesbian, marriage. and it wasn't a perfect relationship. Yeah. yeah. Closer to Earth needs more mm. subversions. I'm like yes. so fucking sick of it. And and I can realize, we talk about um, how the trailer line where they they had this whole like International Women's Day like trailer for the second season of Jessica Jones, and it's based around this quote from a, a speech that Hogarth is giving, which is immediately followed by her complaining about the sexual harassment suit. She just had to settle by saying that the victim of that suit was wearing a skirt that was too short. Yeah, <sighs> I'm sorry but that took the, really long. But no, like. <laughs> I don't know. Closer to Earth, mm-hmm. I think a, a large issue is that I would rather have really, really good subtext and not explicit representation than explicit representation that's closer to yeah, Earth. But yeah. And I know a lot of people disagree with me on I that. I mean, like, yeah. there's just, like, so much. Like, I can kind of... Because, like, bad gay relationships have been used as an excuse for, like, not giving gay people their rights for so long. You know, right. like I right. know this one gay man who's promiscuous, therefore no gay marriage, right? Right. That like right. I can kind of see any representation of a bad gay relationship like making people uncomfortable. Like especially yeah. when like <laughs> like you see fandoms just roar when there's like the slightest whatever out yeah. of like queer representation. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean it's it's messy, but I would like to see closer to Earth subverted yeah. a whole lot more. But I'm I'm However, just not sure that like we're ready for that. <laughs> Right. Yeah, no, I get yeah. it. But I, would, I will still yeah. argue. I was just it. saying, I'd like to see more. Like, the expectation is that, like, a female protagonist is going to either be, like, like a, like a kick ass, like, more of like a kick ass character, like Winona, who's 
who's just like kind of a badass and kicks mm-hmm. butt and like maybe like I mean she's got her issues but she's like an action oriented female protagonist or you have um like we don't see a lot of female antiheroes and I think that that is Eleanor What about Carol? No, but that's what I mean. Like the, like the number of them, like the number <laughs> yeah. of female antiheroes is so small because the genre expectation is if you have an antihero, it's male. Mm-hmm. And I would like well, to and- see more like a, a subversion of the idea that like women can't be antiheroes. I, but I think the, my, part of the problem is that every time you try to have one, she turns into a villain because people just aren't willing to give women that kind of like benefit the doubt almost. Right. Yeah, but I think you could try to tell that story anyway. I think Claire Underwood is one of the few successful characters that I think managed to be she's probably slightly more on the villain side than the anti-hero mm-hmm. side yeah. but I like she's I'm still rooting for her like she's but, like, a no, horrible I mean, person she's a horrible person but I love her character and I want I want to see her be awful like Cersei season 5 is the perfect example of what Joy is talking mm-hmm. about though right However, I will see your Cersei season five and I will raise you one Suyin Beifang, who fucking sucks, but she's <laughs> a, a good guy anyway. Yeah. yeah anyway, guys, we're getting kind of really like, you know, the Tyrells in Game of Thrones. It's like, they fucking suck. Do people not realize that? <laughs> oh my God. All right. So that's pretty much the time that we have, mm-hmm. but let us know what you would like to see subverted and what your favorite examples have been too. Is there another crazy ex-girlfriend or black sales that we're missing out on? Please tell us in the comments because we always are looking for media that we enjoy rather than media that makes us want to yell a lot. <laughs> Otherwise, consider please subscribing to thefandamentals.com. You can see an FM plus little button uh, at the home screen, just $3 a month and you can get exclusive fandom content. Um, which we, we do put a lot of effort into, so hopefully we make it worth your time. You can also tell your friends about this podcast and about our website. If you're like, hey, this is a good article we saw, share it with them, because we like that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we thank you so much for listening to our babbling yet again. So and much babbling. we will talk to you next time. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Goodbye. Welcome to the Fandom List, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of nerdy media. Isn't it geeky media? Fuck! <laughs> it's the first time you've ever done that, Kylie. That's kind of funny. This is where being a fundamentalist is a good thing. And I can say fuck all I want. Fuck, 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 <laughs> fuck, 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 fuck. fuck, fuck.